Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, I hope everyone's good. Hope you've had an amazing week so far. I just want to take a moment to let everyone know that it's been a busy time. So apologies for the lack of interaction on all the social media platforms. But I can tell you it's been for good reason. Um, I've recently become a father again. So congratulations to my wife. She's done an amazing job. Um, got two beautiful young boys in the house now. Um, but also I'm in the midst of finishing off a master's degree. So wish me luck with that, guys. But before we get to today's episode, I just want to thank everyone. You know, everyone that's been part of the journey so far. As we look to celebrate one year of the Coaches Network podcast. Um, yeah, it's been incredible, guys. You know, I mean, in the time that we launched the podcast, we've seen the national lockdown. We've come out of lockdown once or twice. Um, but alongside the podcast, you know, I've seen the launch of some of the coach education workshop and mentoring programs that I've been running. They've been phenomenal. You know, I've had some fantastic coaches uh, enroll onto those programs. And, you know, for anyone interested in finding out more about those, please head over to the coachesnetwork.co.uk. Um, but all that aside... My team and I are committed to delivering some outstanding content to you guys, but we need your support in doing so. So if you're not already, please make sure you head over to both Twitter and Instagram. So Twitter at The Coaches Net and Instagram at The Coaches Network. Make sure you're following us. Let us know how you find any episodes. If there's anything that you want to find out more about, any episodes that you want to hear, any guests that you want to see, let us know. But um, don't stop there. Whatever platform you're listening to this on, make sure you're subscribing and tag us. DM us, let us know, let us know your thoughts, share it with everyone you know. But lastly, um, if you are listening to us at Apple Podcast, guys, head over there, leave us a review, man. Every little bit helps. But enough of that. On to today's episode. Um, and boy, have we got another sensational one for you. Um, I can tell you I really enjoyed recording this one, and some of you would have had the pleasure of joining me for this is all um on a live on Clubhouse. But finally, guys, thanks again. Happy Friday. Keep listening. Hope you've had an amazing week and hope you have an amazing weekend and the rest of the year. Enjoy the episode. Let us know your thoughts. But here's to another year of the Coaches Network podcast. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today I've got a very special guest with me. My guest this evening is none other than Jack Wilshire. Good evening, Jack. How are you, man? Hello, mate. I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Look, Jack, thank you very much for being with me this evening. I'm sure it's going to be a fascinating conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to waste any time. I want to get right back to the, right to the heart of it, really. And I'm sure there's plenty of people that do know you. Um, I guess I'll be shocked if any of the people that are tuning into this don't. But just for those that may not, would you mind just sharing a bit of a background about who you are? So I am a professional footballer who who started at a very young age at a top club. Um, I was fortunate to have a manager who put a lot of trust in me from a young age, Arsene Wenger, um, and gave him my opportunity uh, at a top club like Arsenal. And then I've, I've I spent... 10 years in the first team at Arsenal before moving 
to West Ham United um, where I spent two years and now I'm currently in in the championship at AFC Bournemouth where I previously spent a year on loan. So I'm enjoying my football again, which I think is the main thing. I've got a smile on my face and yeah, I'm looking forward to the future. Awesome. Jack, I want to take you right back to the start of that journey. You talked there about um, getting involved with Arsenal, but that's not where your career started. Uh, certainly not as a young uh, aspiring player, shall we say. So you mind taking me back to that point there, maybe your first interaction with the game um, and how you came to, I guess, become a player, if you like. Yeah, so from ever since I can remember, I always had a ball at my feet. I was always watching football. I loved football. Um, and I I was like any other grassroots player, you know, coming through uh, the grassroots system. Um, I played at, at my first ever team was a, a local team to me called Nebworth. Uh, and I moved around a few teams in the grassroots in the Hertfordshire area um, before being uh, scouted by Luton, which at the time was, um, was an academy. It was a satellite system, they used to call it back then. We used to go uh, once a week to train. You could still play for your grassroots team. Um, and then I did that till I was around nine. And, and then I got scouted for Arsenal. So I was I was quite fortunate to have to be at an academy from a young age. You know, I know a lot of other players have done it different ways and, and there'll be players out there, maybe people listening to this who are you know, 13, 14 and not in an academy and thinking, oh, will I ever? But you know, you, all you have to do is look through the Premier League and there's a number of players who, who, who played in non-league, played grassroots till they were 17, 18. So there's always another route. But I was fortunate enough to be in a, a good academy, probably one of the best academies um, from a young age and be taught Taught not not just how to to play the game, but how to be a good person, brought up right, and then I eventually went into a scholarship system there where, um, you know, they they taught me even more about life, about being a good person, and, and almost like the Arsenal way, which led put me in good stead for not only my my footballing career but my life as well. Mm. So you're just coming into that, you know, you talked there about you know, starting off in a satellite centre for maybe those who maybe aren't too familiar with what that is. Would you mind just sharing a bit of insight around what that looked like and in comparison to the, then the Academy of Arsenal? Yeah, so um, Luton at the time was, I think they were in League One, um, which was Division Two back then, I think. And and the way, the way it worked was they obviously had their scouts around the whole of the Hertfordshire area where I'm from. It was a Royston Crow League at the time. Um, there were some good players in there. And then they'd obviously invite players when, if and when they were ready to come and almost try or train with, with Luton. And then it'd be like a, almost like a trial for everyone, but just on in training sessions. And then after a six-week period, they'd either say, yeah, we want you to come join us or no, go back to your... Uh, grassroots and keep working and we'll call you next time and I, I got in and um, and I had a great time it was I'm not sure if they're around now the satellite systems but it was a great setup it was you know we played games you, they still allowed you to the difference the main difference I can remember from being at Luton and being at Arsenal when you was at an academy like Arsenal it was more exclusive you couldn't play for anyone else mm. um, you were training twice a week sometimes three times a week and then playing on a Sunday. Um, and uh, when I was at Luton, I could still play, you know, for my school team, 
um, for my my grassroots team. But now and then, I, I went on a few tournaments. I remember going on one to Holland with Luton. Um, so you had like them benefits, but at the same time, you could still play for your grassroots. And then when I went to Arsenal, it was a, a lot more intense, and and you, you couldn't really play any other football. They wouldn't allow it. Yeah. So just coming through, then obviously, uh, so you were age ten when you went to Arsenal, was it? Nine. Nine. So you've gone into Arsenal age nine. Um, now, I think it was 2011 when the E Triple P came in. How did that have an impact on the academy when you were coming through it? Um, and what were some of the benefits that you felt you you maybe uh, reaped from that? What is the E Triple P? So when they changed the academy system, they you know they, uh, they almost went from being just a I guess center of excellence, if you like. And then formalise it into a more of a where they had the category systems for the academies. So that was in 2011. Yeah. So I actually I made my debut in the first team in 2009. So um, from when I'm thinking back to you know my time in the academy, it wasn't it wasn't really like that. I know it has changed a lot since and. You know, even like when I was coming through the academy, you had the under-18s and then you had the reserves. Now you have the under-23s and, and it's, it's changed a little bit. You know, I remember playing in the reserves when I was 15 and, you know, we played against Chelsea and Didier Drogba was playing. That were the days where if you if you weren't playing in the first team, you'd play in the reserves. It didn't matter who you were. That's just the way it was. You needed to play games. And I know it's changed a lot now where... Where, I mean, I think there's a rule where you can only play two under over 23s mm. in in the under 23. So it's changed a lot, and I think it's changed a lot. It's, it's now more based towards a lot of uh, a lot more for development, you know, and learning a little bit more. I think you're giving a little bit more time um, to get into before you have to like really get into the first team and. Yeah, that's why, I mean, I remember when I was coming through and I always thought if I'm not around the first team by the time I'm 18, 19, um, then I'd look to to move on or go on loan. And I know that's that's changed a lot now. Mm. Um, yeah, so I can't really remember the, the change because I was, you know, I was in the first team by then. Sure. So just from your perspective and coming through the system the way you did, do you feel that that not having a, a reserve team kind of set up now as opposed to when it was back then, do you think that's, that's, that's maybe added to the benefit of the development or do you think it's hindered it in some way? I think a little bit of both because you're given more time and there's probably a little bit of pressure taken off, you know, because if you're 2021, 20, you, you've still got the, a, a few more years left in the under 23. So I think in terms of development and um like structure I think it's it's probably good but at the same time I think you take away a lot of that what's the word probably winning giving a player a winning mentality because mm. I remember for example I went on loan when I was 18 um, and I stepped out of my comfort zone you know as I said I was fortunate enough to grow up at Arsenal be really looked after have all the best facilities um, and have a clear way through to the first team um, and I'm, as I said, I made my debut, but I weren't playing as much as I wanted. So I made the decision to go on loan, and it and it helped me so much. It you know it 
it changed my mentality. It changed my way of seeing things because even when I was at a young age and I was in the first team, of course, I knew we had to win. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I was still developing. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Bolton on loan, who were in the Premier League at the time. But it was a different, different system, different setup. You know, we were fighting relegation. I went from being on the bench with the first team at Arsenal and playing with the the reserves and the youth team, developing, 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 to all of a sudden playing with, um, you know, your grown men, your 30-year-olds who are fighting for another contract. They need another contract. They need to stay in the league. And it really helped me grow up. So I think the way it is set up now with the under-23s, I think you take that away a little bit. But I think as well, it's down to the player to have the personality to to go on loan, to want to go on loan, to force mm. it to go through and... And if if they do that, then I can see a benefit of the under twenty threes. Yeah, definitely. It's so come back to your own journey now. You know, you, you've come through um, the Arsenal academy, working on you know through the age groups, and now making a debut at sixteen. How did that come about? What was the build up to that? You know, were, were you thinking it was going to come when it did? Did you get mm-hmm. kind of get a heads up any time in the you know in the coming weeks or months ahead that that might be the direction it was going in? And what were the kind of conversations that you were having at the time? Mm, yeah. So, and growing up through the academy, I was always like we we always got reviewed every two years so you'd get a two year not i suppose a two-year deal really but without getting a deal if you know what i mean like you get reviewed every two years and as soon as i got reviewed it was just in my head that oh, i need to get ready for the next review i need to improve and improve and improve um you know and looking back and and having conversations with my dad since like in my head i wasn't guaranteed to to get that two years but he would he would he would say to me now you were never going to be released like you're always one of the better players but I was just so focused and because I want all I wanted to do was be a footballer and then obviously I left school at 16 and and went full time maybe 15 15 uh, and I moved away from my family to live with a family and that just made it even made me even more hungry I wanted more of it um, I was training every day where the first team were training not with the first team but you could see the first team training and. I just wanted to get over there, and and then I remember uh, one one preseason. I think it was two thousand and eight, and there was a Euros going on, Euro two thousand and eight. So a lot of the uh, you know the superstars, the big players, your Van Persies, your Fabregas's, they were all away still on um, on international duty. So we we came back to training, and you know the first team needed players to make up the numbers in training, um, and I was I was one of them, and. Uh, I impressed uh, in the first two weeks, played a game against Barnet, done well. Um, and then I remember the like the player liaison officer who's in charge of all the you know, the first team, what they're doing, when they're doing. He said to me, I'll bring your passport in tomorrow. And I was like, well, four. He's like, oh, you're going away with the first team to Austria. And I was like, what? I was only 16. So I went away, done well again, played a few games, scored a few goals and... And then ever since, from that moment, it was almost like Arsene Wenger sort of put his arm around me and gave me a little bit of special treatment. Like I was always training with the first team. Uh, I was still playing with the, the youth team. But um, And then like everyone knows Arsene Wenger in, in the, uh, it was the League Cup back then, on the Carling Cup. He always gave uh, young players a chance and it was coming round. Uh, and I'd been on the bench again a few times early that season, so I, I got a taste for it. I never got on, but then the 
the League Cup came round and I had a feeling in the back of my head, but it wasn't until the day before when he told me I was going to play. Um, yeah, and it changed everything, you know, like because it, it, there's one thing wanting to play and thinking you're ready, but then being told, yeah, you're actually playing for Arsenal first team at the Emirates in front of 60,000. What you've dreamed of is a day away, basically. And it's a strange feeling because it, it's what you've dreamed of, but it's almost like your first step on the ladder. Um and I knew that, and I think I think that was important that I understood that it was my my first step on the ladder because you know I played with a lot of good players, a lot of good young players who who never really made it at Arsenal, and I think the difference was understanding where you are and like where you are in your career. Yeah, you've got your chance, but you're not actually ready. And I understood that from a young age. Mm. I think you know it's interesting you say that because obviously you know, you're working with so many different. Um, players in that, at that moment you've, you've been thrown into the first team environment at that, at that time what was one of the things that you know as you said you know Arsene Wenger was very well known for giving the younger players an opportunity in, in the Carling Cup or the League Cup at the time um, what do you think it was that separated you from them in kind of then making break, making a longer term breakthrough into that first team environment because there was a lot of players that came through at that time at, you know the academy but not all of them lasted in the and certainly not in the first team setting at Arsenal. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it was understanding where I was and where I wanted to be. You know, because yeah, Arsene Wenger was known for giving young players a chance, but and one thing I learned moving forward in my career was when you get that chance, you have to take it, whether that will be in a game um, or if you're invited over to a training session, you're invited to the training session because you're good enough. You you can't bring the standard of the session down. You can't make silly mistakes because without being ruthless and telling you, uh, Arsenal was always ruthless like that in terms of if a player came over and didn't have a good session or weren't good enough, that's it. You wouldn't see him for six months. Yeah. And I always, I was good at understanding that and I was good at actually doing that, taking my opportunity and, and showing what I could do. And, and, and as well, being focused on where it, where it was I wanted to be. Um, and like I said, that from when I was 16 to when I was 18, I was on the bench in and out the team in cup games I was always focused on what I wanted to do. I wanted to get into the first team. I've seen Cesc Fabregas do it, play from a young age. And I was thinking, why can't I do that? I want to do that. And that's probably why I got to the point where he let me go on loan because I think, you know, he told me a lot that I was going to play. I was going to be involved and I did play, but not as much as I wanted to. And I wanted to, mm. to play every week and I had to go away to realise, almost to grow up because... What you forget as well, there's a lot of pressure at a club like Arsenal. You know, they just moved to the Emirates. They hadn't won a trophy in a long time. Um, financial pressures are getting in the top four. Um, and I, I wasn't ready for that. And it took me going away to learn that and come back a, almost like a, a man. Do you know what I mean? Like where you understand that, yeah, okay, you still can improve as a player and develop as a player but when you cross that white line at the Emirates or wherever you be it's about winning you have to win you have to get into the top four and you know there's there's pressure from above and um, I didn't realise that really until I went away 
So just going, obviously, you know, you're going, going away to Bolton. You talked about maybe maturing a little bit. Um, I think at the time, it was clear to see that you was getting a good, a good run of games and you, your confidence was definitely building at the time. What, what do you think it was, aside from just obviously having that game time um, and, and minutes on the pitch, if you like, what was the key things that you kind of maybe took away from that experience at Bolton? I think, what was it, maybe 15 to 18 games, was it, that you were there? Yeah, 16 maybe. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, it was difficult because, number one, I'd gone from living with my mum and dad who'd done everything for me mm. um, to then move into to Bolton, which was unknown for me, you know, in, and, and almost looking after myself, but most importantly... I think the biggest lesson that I learned was number one, winning and how important that was, but how you won as well, like how you prepare, um, not just in training, but mentally, you know, because the, the Premier League is, yeah. is a demanding league and it, it take it doesn't, you don't realise that until you play in week in, week out, you know, until mm-hmm. you've played uh, eight games and you played on a Saturday and you your legs are gone, you're tired, but you have to go Tuesday again because, you know, the other midfielder's injured or, and it's them lessons where you can't get until you're playing week in, week out um, in a league, which is so, is so like, demanding. Going to Bolton uh, and maybe experiencing things that maybe the, the other end of the table, if you like. Yeah. And that as well, because, because as well, remember Arsenal was, was all about playing pretty football, the perfect football, you know, getting it, passing it. Mm. And I went to Bolton and, and no disrespect to Bolton or the players I played with, but it was different football. It was completely different. You know, we had a, a big striker who we, we we relied on. We played for a lot. I had to learn that, that when the ball goes forward, you know, it goes forward quicker than it did at Arsenal and you have to be around the striker to to... to to keep the ball for your team and you had to fight for the ball as well. Um, yeah. yeah, and and the 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 stress and um the stress of trying to stay in the league with with players, as I said, who were coming towards the end of their career, wanted to stay in the Premier League, needed to stay in the Premier League. And um, you know, I got I got close to a few a few players like that who were experienced pros who helped me a lot when I was at Bolton. You know, they'd been in the game for 10 some of them 15 years, you know, 33 year olds coming towards the end of their career who had fought their whole career to get into the Premier League and now they're going to do anything to stay in the Premier League. And, and that rubbed off on me and I, I got to grips with that pretty quick. Mm. So just on that then, you know, you're going through that process. Um, I'm just thinking back, that you, you, you started at Luton in the Satellite Centre, you've worked all those years through the Arsenal Academy. Uh, and it's kind of taking you back to something you said, you've always wanted to be a footballer. Do you think that being in the system from that age, well, in your case, two to 16, where you've eventually made your first team debut, do you think there's a lot more pressure on having to actually, or dealing with a lot more pressure having to be there from that from that period of time? Or do you think it's better for players to maybe come in the process a bit later on? I think there's benefits to both. Um yeah, you know, one of the hardest decisions, believe it or not, when I was nine, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember being at the park with my mate, uh, and, and I knew that Arsenal were interested for a while, and I had the decision to make um, whether I stay at Arsenal, uh, sorry, stay at Luton or I go to Arsenal. 
And it was one of the biggest, the toughest decisions I ever had because I knew from then that I wouldn't be able to play with my mates on Sunday. Mm. Uh, I knew that school football would be difficult because of the, the training schedule. And I knew that a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice would have to be made by uh, mum and dad as well because I lived an hour away from, from the training ground, from the Arsenal training ground. And we had to go there two, sometimes three times a week. And mum and dad obviously had jobs that they had to juggle and and get things, put things in place where I was able to go there. And, you know, I knew it was going to be a big sacrifice. Um, and I remember my dad driving to the park and saying, look, it's the last day you can make a decision. And uh, I just said, all right, listen, I'm going to go to Arsenal. Um, and obviously it was one of the best decisions of my life, but it was a difficult decision at the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put myself now in my son's shoes, for example, when my son plays grassroots, he loves it. You know, he wouldn't change it for the world and he's nine. So yeah. I think, I think there's benefits to both. Um, listen, I'm sure if, if Arsenal did come calling for my son and I told him Arsenal will come in, you know, that might change something in his mind. But yeah, it's a difficult question because obviously I was lucky to to be in a system like that but you know as i said before i've seen others i've played with others who who weren't involved in academies and you know i think as well now where grassroots is the level grassroots is at you've got some top coaches in there who make it number one enjoyable for the kids that make them want to go every week which i think is the most important um and two they actually are good coaches who can can help the kids so it's a difficult question but i think there's a way a way in if you're you're 14 you're still in grassroots or if you're nine and an academy's calling you i think there's there's benefits to both now you make you make a great point there i think you know just thinking back now you what you what you've shared there you know is that your your dad really gave you the option now yeah a lot of young players that you know with an opportunity like that in front of them may often get forced into an option rather than getting to choose that mm-hmm. how 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 was that for you? Because obviously you talked there about being a big decision. Um, how much was fully down to you and how much support did you get from your parents in that respect? Because like I said, one of the biggest challenges you face as a, as a well, certainly I've seen in my, in my time as a coach that a lot of parents do try and live maybe their dreams through their kids sometimes. So it's very easy to kind of have that opportunity in front of you and push you down that avenue. What was that like for you? Yeah, you know, thinking back to it, it was all like my mum and dad were brilliant. It was all my decision. Um, even like I used to, my dad used to take me everywhere, games, training, and I'd sit sit down after a game. We'd talk about the game, and he'd never he'd never put pressure on me to perform or or say, "Oh, you didn't do this, you didn't do that." He was never one of them. He, I think, he obviously loved the fact that I was I was playing in a top club like Arsenal, but I think he understood that it has to be my decision. It has to be player driven rather than from someone else, because at the end of the day, it's the player who has to go through everything. Yeah. You've got the support of your mum and your dad, but you have to live through that. And as you get older, they become more pressure on the players. I said, I used to feel the pressure every two years and I didn't then need my mum and mum and dad added pressure to that saying, oh, you have to get signed on, you have to get signed on, you have to do more of this, you have to do more of that. And 
they were that that easy. You know, I don't even like when people say that to me. I can't believe that parents actually done that. And it's only since becoming a dad and going to watch my son week in week out that I do see parents like that. And I can't like obviously it's difficult to say to a, to someone like you need to leave them alone because that's their, their son. You can't say that, but like inside it's, it's, it's killing you. You're thinking just let the player play. If he wants to play, mm. if he wants to do this, he wants to, you have to let the child. And that's why I say as well with, with the coaches now, they're so good at managing the kids and making them want to come back. And I think that's the most important thing because there's so many kids that drop out of the game because of, different things but I'm sure that one of them is is pressure from from parents and uh, that kills me inside because I never experienced that and obviously I had a great time in the academy we went to tournaments where we played against the biggest teams with Barcelona Juventus and I never ever felt pressure from mum and dad mm. no, definitely and you, need, you should talk there about that pressure I guess do you think that that the fact that you were allowed to make such a big decision or uh, or rather yeah, you're given the opportunity to make that big decision and it was maybe down to you at the end of the day what the final say was going to be. That that maybe shaped some of your character growing up. 100%. Um, it definitely made me probably, not at the time, but looking back now, respect my mum and dad more. Mm. Um, made me more independent without really knowing it at that age. But, you know, when I was 15 and I moved away from, from my mum and dad. Um, and again, that was all my decision, you know, not even now, like obviously I'm, I'm, I still have a great relationship with my mum and dad, more my dad when it comes to football. And he's, you know, I speak to my dad about football every day, whether it be about training, the game coming up. And even now he never, you know, he'll never, if it's a big game, he'll never put pressure on me. He'll always say the same thing. Text me the day before uh, the day of the game. Good luck today. And that's it. Like he never says you need to do this, you need to do that. And I think that that definitely does does shape. I mean, it's hard to to comment on on kids whose, whose parent put pressure on them because my my parents never did. And you know, but one thing that I will say is it it taught me as well about my my kids. You know, I've got a son, and I've got I've got two sons and two daughters, and whether it be my son going to football, my daughter going to gymnastics or my daughter going to football, wherever it will be. I've come from a place where I was never felt, never made to feel pressured yeah. and I want that for them. And I think that can definitely help shape the, not just the kid they're going to be, but as you said, the person they're going to be yeah. when they grow older. So just off the back of that then, did you find that because that decision was yours going through that journey that you maybe were more accountable to yourself? Yeah, definitely. And because I'm, as I said, I felt the pressure every two years and I put that pressure on myself. You know, I went, I went into training sessions thinking, right, I need to improve. Or if we played against big, uh, in big games or in any game really, because you know, there was always some sort of pressure. And I, I do think a kid putting pressure on himself is quite good because it helped it definitely helped me focus not really pressure but having a little bit of, of nerves going into a game even now I have them and it, and it helps me focus and yeah I mean listen if if my mum and dad were saying to me um right, you, your your review's coming up you need to make sure you do this make sure you do that 
like maybe not a young age, but when you get to that sort of rebelling teenager age, you know what it's like. Um, you might rebel and say, actually, well, no, I won't be doing that because you want me to do it, and I can't be bothered. You know what I mean? Like you get that's what you go through as a kid. You have them, them feelings, and I think definitely because I wanted to do it, it made me more focused and more driven. Mm. Definitely. So I want to come back to your journey a little bit now. You know, you've talked there about coming through the system at Arsenal, wanting to get some first team appearances, wanting to get some games and minutes on the pitch. You've then had your loan move at Bolton, which you know I think a lot of people would probably agree has been was quite successful for you. What was the best part about going to Bolton, and at what point did you, through that through that little period of time, start to think, right, I'm ready to go back to the Emirates and get a place here? Yeah. So when when I first went to to Bolton for the first maybe three or four games I was on the bench mm. and um, and it was difficult like I was thinking I've come here to play games the managers told me I'm going to play games and I'm not playing and that was actually one of the biggest learning curves because you know I even I use I use this today and I think about it when I'm when I'm going to a new club it's not as simple like you have to go through a process mm. of getting into the team you know, you you have to train well. Uh, when you, as I spoke about before, when you get your opportunity, whether it be ten minutes or whether it be a, a training game, you have to take it. Um, and at the time, I didn't really have that that process in my head. I thought I was going to play. I'd go speak to the manager, um, and it wasn't really until a few players got injured when I got into the team, and and then I, I stayed in the team um, probably. Probably, I think it was about fifteen games in a row which I played. Um, the best and the best part of it was was being being an important member of a team, feeling like you were a valued member of your team, you were as important as a team, um, and and creating like friendships, but more like teammates who who trusted you. That felt good when when you thought felt like you had the trust of of your teammates. You know seasoned pros who's, who's been in the game for 15 years right. you know, they probably thought when I was coming there an 18 year old kid from Arsenal is not going to fit in you know he's not going to understand the way we play with the need to win and as I said I got that pretty quick and that felt good the acceptance um, and then and then obviously the season finished I went back in pre-season um, and I was having conversations with not with Arsenal, there was another guy, um, he was in the board, um, he sort of was in charge of transfers and ingoings and outgoings and having conversations with him and he actually said to me um, the start of pre-season, look, you might have to go on loan again, there's a lot of midfielders ahead of you and and like straight away, instead of thinking, oh, no, I need to leave, I just thought, I don't believe that, I don't believe that there's seven midfielders at this club that are better than me, like, I need to prove this preseason that I'm one of the best, yeah. if not the best midfielder, which was difficult at the time because we had, you know, your Fabregas's players, St. Nazarene's big players who were international players. But I was so focused and, you know, I knew that that's what I had to do. So I did that. I had a good preseason yeah. and I actually got my first call up for um, England in at the end of that preseason. Yeah. Um, and I made my debut for England, but even then, I never had a conversation or a phone call from from someone at the club saying, 
oh, we've we've changed our minds. We want you to stay. It was still, oh, you might have to go on loan. Um, and again, which some people probably won't know or probably forgot, I only played, so I played the first game that season and I only played the first game that season because we had maybe five, four or five of the fielders injured. Mm. Um, so I played that, that first game and I've done all right, but the one thing I can remember from that game, it was uh, Anfield, Liverpool, Liverpool away. First game of the season. So it was a big game, tough game. And I've done all right. I felt I'd done all right in the game. But mm. then I gave the ball away and they scored. Um, and I, I, was, I remember just thinking, oh no, like, that was my opportunity. I've messed it up. Mm. Uh, but that's where Arsene was really good and really helpful. Like, he he remembered that actually I was an 18-year-old playing in my first game for Arsenal at Anfield and I played well. Yeah, I gave the ball away, scored, which a lot of people will remember. But I actually played well and probably deserved to, to play the next game. And I did. And, you know, he stuck with me a lot that season, you know, from making mistakes that young players made, um, not just on the pitch, off the pitch as well. But he stuck with me and, you know, I think I played every game apart from two in the Premier League that season. So that was a good year for me. And that was really like my breakthrough year. You know, we had a good run in the Champions League. I'd done well in the Champions League. And and that was like where I really sort of cemented my place in in the team. Yeah. Now, you know, you talked you talk about some of your experiences, you know, having gone through some of those ups and downs and how, you know, Wenger maybe have dealt with you and supported you through those moments. But Jack, you, you know, you were at Arsenal for a number of years. You know, you've had you've had some really good moments and you've had some t- tough ones. But let's let's talk about the positive ones now. You know, you've, you've in that first first breakthrough there. You know, you've made your England debut. First of all, what did that feel like? You know, Roy Hodgson calling you up to the England squad. What, did that come as a surprise? I, I, what, how does that process even work? It was actually Capello. So I'm older than that, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it was Capello who called me up. Um, and you know what? It was very strange. Because I'd been at Bolton the year before. Yeah. And I remember reading a few things. It was 2010. So that was the World Cup year. And I remember reading a few things like, oh, Wilshire should go to the World Cup. And I was thinking, like, are these people crazy? Like, I'm I'm nowhere near that. Um, anyway, the season finished. The World Cup went on. I obviously watched the World Cup like a fan. That was the strangest thing because I'd go with my mates to, to the pub or around their house to watch the game and be like a proper England fan, you know, mm. and then fast forward six, seven weeks and I'm, all of a sudden I'm in the squad. So that was strange. I'm, I remember we were in Poland away for the last pre-season game um, and the squad was getting announced before the game and you play the game on Saturday and you meet up on the Sunday. Mm. Um, and I remember someone saying to me before the game, uh, Paul Johnson, the one one of the coaches at Arsenal, saying, "Oh, you're in the England squad," and I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Yeah, you've been called up to England squad," and I couldn't believe it. So, played the game, came back, um, came back that evening, and then the next day was meeting up with the team. And mm-hmm. you know, I was I was an 18 year old fan. Uh, we met up on the Sunday evening and we were straight away we had dinner and I was sat in a room with you know, Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, Wayne Rooney, the players who I'd watched growing up and idolised. 
Uh, it was very, very surreal feeling, and and to get on the pitch as well, because you know a lot of a lot of players get called up first time, go and train, see mm. how it is. But to be fair, Capello was really good with me as well. He he said to me from from day one, this is where he sees me. He sees me being a big part of the not just the future, but the present. It, we were mm. pre- preparing for uh, Euro twenty twelve. Yeah. And so what was that like for you? Just you coming into the squad there, you know, it was a surreal feeling. Obviously. But to get that, that, I guess that feedback or that, you know, that, that, those comments from Capella to say, right, he sees you as an integral part of this, that, that must have been like, like you, you're pinching yourself still just at being called up, but now he's telling you this. Yeah, it was, it was strange as well because of, of what was going on at Arsenal. You know, I didn't know whether I was going to be at Arsenal or mm. I was going to have to go back on loan or potentially leave Arsenal. Um, so it was, it was strange. It gave me a lot of confidence. Um, Probably gave me gave me confidence going back to Arsenal and and realizing that I actually I was good enough and I weren't seventh in line to play in midfield. Mm. Um, you know I was ready to play and yeah it was surreal but it gave me a lot of confidence as well. Mm. So you know you've you've got you know you've got your debut at England. Um, that first season you started got into the team at Arsenal because it will all be injuries or not. But like you said you've got to take your chance when it comes up. You know, you've then gone on for have a number of years there and had some big games. Um, and I was just speaking to one of my friends a couple of days ago. I said to him, I'm going to be having this, you know, this chat with you. And he's like, oh, yeah, he scored the best goal in Premier League history. I was like, which one was that? He goes, the one you scored against Norwich with, you know, a great team goal. Um, what, what's been your finest moment, in your opinion, you know, for, in your time with Arsenal to start with? Yeah, there was there was a lot of good moments like, like that, like the Norwich goal. Um like the Barcelona game, there's a few games I can think back to. Man City at home was a good game, but the best feeling was was winning the first FA Cup that we won in 2014. Um, because my first year as well, obviously everyone knows Arsenal didn't win a didn't win a trophy from I think it was 04 the last trophy they won. So there's the years were going by. You know, you could feel the pressure from the fans. You could obviously read social media and the need for to win a trophy, which is right. You know, a club like Arsenal should be winning trophies. And I remember my first year, I got into the team that we were talking about, and we made it to the uh, the Carling Cup final. Um, and I remember going into the game thinking, we were playing Birmingham. Yeah, we should win this. We're going to win this. Started the game well, went 1-0 down, and thinking, oh, no. Um and then we got it back to one all and it was all us. Like there could only be one winner here. And then all of a sudden there was a mistake and we lost the game. And I remember that really, really hurting, thinking, oh, you know what, we could have this is my first year in the team, we could have won a trophy and pushed on from here. And then it wasn't until 2014 um that we got got the opportunity again. We we didn't we never really were challenging in the league. We we dropped off a bit in the league. Um, and then the FA Cup came. We we had a good run and got to the final. And I remember the day you could just feel the feel the atmosphere. It was like there was nerves, there was pressure, there was excitement from the Arsenal fans. Mm. And then we went two 0 down. And I remember thinking, oh my god, like we've done it again. What like we, there's no way we can lose this. And we came back and won it three two. And yeah, it was it was a good feeling to. You know, come through the the system, playing the FA Youth Cup, win the FA Youth Cup with with Arsenal, and then go on to win the FA Cup. That was that was nice. 
Mm. And, you know, so during your time with Jack, you know, you've had a lot of challenges, um, more specifically with injuries and maybe some external things that have gone beyond that. What what was that like for you? Because, you know, you, you, every it seems as almost as every time you had a good run of games, you know, you're playing mm. well. Jack Wilshire, you know, you, you, if you like, at the, sometimes leading the Arsenal team and being one of the front runners in the first name in the sheet, but then five, six, maybe 10 games max, boom, stopped in your tracks. Yeah. What was that like? You know, when, when, when did that start coming and becoming a thing for you? Mm. No, that was tough because growing up through the academy and even my first few years in the team, I never had injuries. Mm. I never, never suffered with injuries, played all the time, trained all the time. And then to have that stopped and, what I didn't realise at the time was, all right, you're injured, but actually that's going to have a, a knock-on effect. You know, it's going to take a while to get back, number one. And then you have to go through the process of getting fit, getting match fit while while in front of the world, if you like. You know, everyone's watching you come back to full fitness. When you're probably not fully fit, you need a few games, but you don't have that time. So there's that pressure. Um, and then, as you said, like... I'd have a run, I'd have a run, I'd be going well, get back to finally where I wanted to be. And the most annoying thing as well, a lot of it was out of my control, it would be a tackle, you know, or and people will say, oh yeah, but you held on to the ball for too long. But that, that's, that's just the type of player I was and that was frustrating as well because, you know, I'm the type of player who wants to be, even now I want to pick up the ball and run at players and make things happen. Um, and I was doing that and getting injured doing it, um, which was frustrating, but, yeah, I finally got to a point, it, probably in the last, you know, I went to Bournemouth on loan, had a good run of games and then broke my leg. But then when I came back from that, that season, I had a really good season in terms of availability uh, and my form, you know, I got back into the team. Um, so like, yeah, I, the way I used to look at it was, it only could make me stronger, you know, where I'd been written off, I'd lost... Uh, a lot of football missed a lot of football sorry and still had the desire and hunger to get back in the team to a into a good team and, and show them what I could do mm. Jack you're still, you're still relatively young in, in comparison to a lot of players and especially with the amount of years you've had under your belt already you know 13 odd years you know as a pro um Again, you had some highlights, because, you know, that some alongside as injuries, you've had a lot of challenges personally and professionally. And you know, I guess from the outside looking in, people don't always get to see maybe what you guys are going through as professional athletes. Um, and you know, it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that you still you're still a human being. Um, some of the things that may come up in your life might you know might affect that and impact you the same way as it would you know me and anyone else watching this potentially. So. What what was that like? Cause, you know, because you've got all these um, all this pressure on putting on yourself, possibly trying to get yourself back fit, get back to playing. Then obviously you got the pressure from the fans, and then maybe not. Maybe did you ever face a time where it was really challenging to the point where people don't understand what's going on for you, and how that's potentially you know having an impact on you in terms of getting back out there? Because obviously you know unless you're out on the pitch, it's almost like well. Jack Walsh is not fit. He's he's almost being written off every time because he's not there to, I guess, defend himself by putting himself on the pitch and playing. Yeah, um, yeah. I've, I've there was a lot of that 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 went on. You know, things happen in your personal life, and 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 people don't know that. And at the time, uh, you think, I oh, know, people shouldn't know that. Or, but I think that 
the way that the world is now and the judgment that goes on, I think that is, it, is, it actually helps not just as a, as a footballer, but as a person to be open and, and talk about things because people will, will understand you more and understand where you're coming from. Um, but in terms of what you said about not, not being on the pitch, then people think, oh, yeah, Jack's injured. And you know what? I still get that today. Like, if I'm not on the pitch and if I'm not selected for tactical reasons, in the day it's down to the manager and he picks a team. And if I'm on the bench, so I never go, oh, Jack must be injured. And I think that's just something that that sticks. And whether it's right or wrong, that's the way the world is with your, you know, your social media, people say things and all of a sudden it sticks. And I think there's a... Like I'm, I'm just thinking about young players now coming through a lot of different challenges that they have they have to face than what I did you know I, when I was coming through the system there wasn't really social media around Twitter maybe just came came into it but now for a player that is you know a lot of stuff goes on Twitter good and bad you know and I think that's just something that a young player has to come to grips with and, and maybe get some help in understanding it and and dealing with it because it can be difficult. Mm. No, definitely. And, you know, you see, talking about, you know, some of the, the challenges and you talk about social media. Now, if I, if I look at social media now, I'm going to go back a couple of months. I think it was in January, a, a tweet came out asking you the question, you know, what did you learn on that night in uh, in the new camp? And you've responded, you didn't learn much because Xavi and Iniesta were in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that? You know like? what? I guess that's just like where I've got to and like, as a as a human being and as an athlete as well, dealing with social media, yeah. you know, because you get a lot of of hate, anger towards you. And listen, some of it's fine because that's football, that's rivalry. You know, yeah. for example, Tottenham fans are not going to love me and give me a lot of love on on social media. I know that, so I think that's just where I've I've got to with social media and the relationship I have with it. You know, obviously, it can be used for good. It can be used to get your point across or as well it's there for a little bit of fun and for players to enjoy it as well because you know I think as well I think fans you know even I've got a lot of a lot of anger for that I think fans appreciate like a little bit of banter a little bit of seeing who someone is as a human definitely 110% so you know let's let's look back at that night then you know 2000 and was it 2011 was it yeah yeah I think February 2011 so 10 years now just gone 10 years. What was that like? You know, going to the new camp, got Xavi Iniesta sitting in front of you. What, what's going through your mind? Um, you know what? That was like another level in terms of everything. You know, I'd, I'd obviously played a lot of games in the Premier League that, that season with Arsenal. Just, I came back from Bolton, got in the team, played a lot of games, played in the Champions League as well, played in the group stages and played well scored a few goals and uh, but this just was another level in terms of everything in terms of obviously the opposition at that time they were arguably the best team in history you know they had Javi, Iniesta, Busquets in midfield with David Villa up top with Messi and uh, Pedro was there at the time as well with Peel and um, PK at the back it was you know what? Like I remember the building up to it, and the year before Arsenal had played them um, in the Champions League, the same stage at Champions League, and got absolutely smashed. I think Messi scored four. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so there wasn't like I remember when we got 
drawn against it. There wasn't much belief that we could we could beat them. Um, that helped. There was so almost you know you. I do I do think that helped me. I do think that helped me. I don't. I'm not sure if it if it helped everyone else, but it definitely helped me because it wasn't like we were playing a team who we were expected to beat. You know, and I think that without at the time, I mean, looking back, it probably helped. But at the time, I, I was still like thinking, oh my God, this is the biggest game I've ever been involved in. Mm. I'm sat in the t- uh, stood in the tunnel walking out next to Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, and I'm just looking at them and I can see the focus on their face. And, you know, they've been there before, but they knew that as well it was going to be a big game for them. And I could see that. And, you know, people forget as well, I, I did have a good game that night, but there were times, especially in the first half, where I, we couldn't get near him, not just me. You know, they used to do like, you know, they used to pass it between each other in midfield, like little pointless passes. And you didn't know whether to go and press or sit off them. If you sat off them, Messi would be behind you in the pocket and he'd get it and turn and all of a sudden they're, they're in on goal. Um, and it took of probably... 15, 20 minutes just to settle down, but not just me, everyone. Yeah. And I think the big thing that night uh, that everyone noticed was I was actually, I was probably actually the one who settled everyone down. Yeah. And at the time it didn't feel like that, but I've watched it back obviously a number of times. And like the big thing about Barcelona at that, at that time was their reaction press. You know, they gave the ball away and they would all go bang. And, I remember thinking as well before the game, if you can beat that press, then you're out. Yeah. Uh, and I thought before the game, get the ball, move it quick was the best way. But during the game, I quickly realised that actually, if you stayed on the ball and you beat one player, then you're out because mm-hmm. they'd go bang. And if you took a touch around them, you're out. And yeah. I remember doing that time and time again that night and, it was working and yeah, it was, it was a good night and we won the game, obviously but, um, we lost the the second leg, but you know, in my opinion, we, we should have won. <laughs> Van Persie got sent off. I'm sure you remember. Yeah. She never should have been sent off. And um, yeah, but that, that was a good night. And that, that, I think that took me to another level as a player. Yeah. Um, because, it's as simple as if you can do it against the best, then mm. you'll be able to do it against anyone else. And they literally were the best. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. You know, arguably, like you said, one of the best teams of all time, if not the best. Um, and I think that'll be widely agreed on. I guess you know, you, you, you know, again, we talk about great moments there, Arsenal, and I'm, I'm sure there's more that we can go into. But I'm, I'm curious to know what happened at the back end of that because you know, am I right in thinking that you, you know you are requested for your contract to be cancelled there? Is it? Well, West Ham. No, was that West Ham? Was it Arsenal? So yeah. Arsenal didn't renew your contract. You eventually went to West Ham. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually got offered a a new deal at um, Arsenal, but it was at the time when Arsene Wenger got sacked. Okay. Or he left the club, sacked, whatever you want to say. Um, Which one is it? Yeah, I don't know. No, no, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I remember the contract was was in uh, heavily incentive based on appearances so I had to play basically mm-hmm. I remember saying to the club I need to wait and see who the new manager is because 
there's no point in me signing a deal where I have to play if I'm not going to play. And that was exactly the case. You know, Emery came in, had a conversation with him. Um, and he said, hey, you're not, you're not in my, my plans really. So it'd be best for you to, to go somewhere else. Um, and it, 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 it wasn't just that because I would have backed myself still, but there was a lot of changes around the club and I just felt it was the right time. Yeah. And then I, I went to, to West Ham and, and obviously things different things happen and, and yeah we agreed I didn't I didn't request to yeah so my deal but we, we agreed that yeah. previously mentioned that I guess going to Bolton coming back uh, you was kind of given a heads up almost if you like that you weren't going to be first choice you were there was a few people ahead of you where, where was the mindset from then to that point when Emery came in and said you know actually so then obviously I played a few years but then I went on loan to Bournemouth mm. for a year and I broke my leg and I came back to Arsenal and I was again in the same position right? Um, where I had a year left on my contract and I remember having a conversation with Arsene Wenger and him saying look you're not going to get a new deal you're, uh, the club won't give you a new deal so if you can get somewhere on a long-term contract, I'd recommend that you go. And at the time, I'd come back uh, and I remember I was sitting on a bike, I had a broken leg, I was sat on a bike and I was really low. I was thinking, but then, you know, that probably lasted for an evening and then I, then I thought to myself, again, the same mentality, actually, if I get myself really fit, I don't have to leave because I've still got a year left on my contract. I was looking around thinking, I can get into this midfield, I can fight my way back, I can get really fit, as fit as I can, just got to be a little bit patient um, and I get back in. That's exactly what I did. Uh, I got back in the the Carling Cup team again, then the Europa League team again, and the team weren't doing well in the Premier League. So I played some games in the Premier League. And I actually was was uh, captain towards the end of that that season because Pichoni got injured. So that was a really good year for me, and um, I owed a lot of that as well to not just my mentality, but the the faith that. Uh, Arsenal had in me and I knew Arsenal had faith in me when he told me that the club weren't going to offer me a deal so I backed myself and I had the backing of the manager um, and then when he left I didn't feel like well I knew that Emery didn't know me as a person mm. I'm not sure he knew me as a player and and as I said the, the club were making changes as well throughout the, the whole club and I just felt it was time time to move on and... Mm. West Ham comes along mm-hmm. now frustrating time for you um, but you, you, you've you spoken about this openly before that maybe it was a regret to come, you know, leaving Arsenal in the first place eventually um, but what happened there you know you, you, you seem to have kind of gone there you, everyone you know, was quite hopeful that you did you have a new lease of life at, you know still in the Premier League West Ham you didn't have to maybe relocate your family and whatnot. so maybe considered a re- relatively easy transition if you like Mm. What happened there? Um, you know what? First and foremost, when I first went there, it was my dream. You know, I grew up a West Ham fan. My family were West Ham fans. And if you'd have told me when I was seven, eight years old that I'd play one game for West Ham's first team in front of in front of their fans, I'd have snapped your hand off. So mm. um, when I was going there, I was buzzing. They had a new manager, he had new plans, he wanted to, to change things at the club. Um, and the first 
you know, first couple of months, I, I played every game. I played well. Hey, the team didn't didn't do really well, but I felt like I was progressing and we were getting somewhere as a team. Okay, the results weren't great, but we were trying to trying to do things the right way, play the right football. Mm. And yeah, we're probably making individual mistakes that that would cost us. And um, and then again, I got injured, and uh, it took longer than it should have. Um, things went on, you know, in the club, which do. I mean, listen, I'm, I've been in the game long enough to know that there's a lot of politics and f- you can have fall, falling outs with, with certain people in a club and that's what happened. You know, I've, you know, we had disagreements with the medical team. You know, I've, I've, I've since sorted out with the medical, medical team and in the end I had a good relationship with them. But I think it's actually quite healthy as well to have a relationship with them like that because you're questioning them all the time and, mm. You know, I didn't want to be injured, and I was, I was probably taking out on them a little bit. Where, mm-hmm. but I think, I think that's that's quite healthy because you don't want to be in the physio room. And I didn't, I wasn't the type of person who was happy to sit in the medical room and while well, the players are going out to training. You know, if I was back in three weeks, I wanted to be back in two weeks, and I challenge them to get there. And I was probably, probably a little bit too too eager to come back at times and that cost me and then you know it was difficult to get back in the team um now i did get back in the team played a few games um, and then again the same thing with, with injuries so i don't i don't look back at my time at west ham and think oh my god i shouldn't have done it it was my dream to play for west ham i did it things didn't work out yet got injured which is was, was out of my control you know out of the club's control and in the end we came to an agreement which was best for both and you know I genuinely wish them all the best I'm so happy for them that they're doing well I've got friends there that I made from my time there which I wouldn't have made if I didn't go there so I'm I'm generally happy for them and I wish them all the best Awesome I have on the Coaches Network podcast uh, there will be an opportunity for a couple uh, listeners to put their hands up and ask some questions of Jack directly um but yeah, Jack, you know, just kind of pick up from where we left off there, mate. You know, you, you had a difficult time there eventually um, at West Ham. Probably didn't turn out the way that you was hoping. You've now ended up at Bournemouth, um, managed to get back in the team and get some regular games under your belt, albeit a, a red card a few weeks back. Mm. <laughs> um, but you've always been known a bit as a bit of a fiery, um, passionate player, shall we say. Do you think that as you've matured and as you've grown up in your journey as a, as a player, that will ever go and do you think that the way in which you've approached games in that capacity changes? Yes and no because um, I think I'm at my best when I'm in that frame of mind you know when you go into a game and all you want to do is win and you'll do whatever it takes to win mm. that's when I'm at my best and you know when I was when I was at West Ham and things weren't going really well there were times where I thought that had gone for me and I didn't like it. I didn't like that that side of me. Um, that's the, As you said, that's the type of player I am and I, I need that in my game. Probably, it probably helps me focus. And, yeah. And um, listen, every game that you go into, first and foremost, what I think is you need to make yourself horrible to play against. You need to look at your, your opponent, whether it be midfielder, whoever, whoever you're playing against, and I don't mean that by being horrible in terms of like 
swearing or just yeah. being horrible pagans, you know, getting up to the ball, making life difficult for them and almost earning the right. And I've always thought that throughout my career, whoever I've played against, you know, I remember thinking it going into that night at Barcelona, I need to make things difficult for them. And I try and take that wherever I am, whether yeah. I be in the Champions League or in the Championship like I am now. I think them values as a, number one, as a human, but as a player, you need to carry them with you all the time. And mm. listen, I look back and especially at the red card the other week and it was stupid and silly. And ultimately, I probably cost myself, whereas a few games, because you, then you miss the next game, you suspended, the team do well. And as mm. I said, you go through that process again of trying to get back in the team. And so sometimes there's a line and I cross a line, but at the same time, I like that side of me. Yeah. Well, do you know, it's interesting why, why I asked that question, because I'm, not to make any comparisons in, in any way, but, you know, if we look at Wayne Rooney as an example, that was that was a bit of his character when he was coming up as a young player. And, you know, years after year, you know, people are saying, oh, they need to get that aggression out of his game. They need to do that. And, you know, I think eventually that did kind of happen, but you see a very different player on the back end of it. You yeah. know, you know I, I personally, you know, uh, would argue that maybe Rooney was more effective in his in his earlier years when he had that in him, yeah. as opposed to back back on the back end of his career where he, you know where he was still effective, I guess. But you know, maybe not the same type of player that we that we came to know, if you like. Yeah, and I loved that in in Rooney from a young age. He, as you said, I remember watching him as an eight, when he was eighteen in the Euros, and he just didn't care who he was playing against. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think he had that all the way through his career. I mean, maybe. When he when he went to Derby or he changed because his role was a little bit different. Yeah, um, role within the team. But you know, I remember playing against Rooney before I was in the England squad and thinking, "This geezer hates me. Like he wants to kill me. He's smashing me. He's telling me to f off. He's he's doing all kinds of things." Yeah. Um, I remember getting into the England team and thinking. This this guy is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. The most normal guy you've ever met will come to your room and chat to you. And I'm thinking, this is Wayne Rooney, like my hero growing up. And then playing against him, he wanted to kill me. And then getting in the team, so getting in the England squad and him being the kindest guy and really helpful as a young player. And then going back to the club and playing against him a few weeks later, again, him wanting to kill me. And that was just the, the type of player and character he was. And yeah, I think... Certain players are like that. You know, you look at some players and they're all friendly and listen, that's fine. If that's the type of player you are and that's what brings the best out of you, fine. But I think I think the, one of the most important thing on the pitch is to bring your character out. And if that's your character and that's your character, you can't change that. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, I guess on that then, you know, you hear a lot about maybe the golden generation of England, you know, between the early 2000s and mid 2000s. You know, with the the likes of Lampard, the, your Beckham, your, um, your Skulls, your, uh, Rooney coming through, obviously, the, you know, the, the, the defenders in terms of Ashley Cole, your Gary Neville and all that. That that generation really struggled, but that generation was very clicky. There was a, you know, a big click of the Man United lot. There's a big click of maybe some of the Liverpool lads and a few other guys around it. What was that like when you were playing for England? You know, did you, did you feel that kind of atmosphere where it was quite separated and segregated in that Roy? Or was it quite integrated? And, you know, how much of an impact did you think maybe the... The manager at the time, or the type of players that they were around, had an, had on that in the whole situation. If you like, um, yeah, I never felt it was clicky at all. Um, you know what? I had a, a spell in the team when when there was the likes of Rio, 
JT, Gerard Lampard, and and that even that didn't feel clicky. I mean, listen, I was a young player, so I kept myself to myself. I didn't, I didn't ever get involved in. You know, I weren't. I probably never even spoke to anyone because I was just a shy eighteen-year-old who'd watched these these players in the World Cup six weeks before. So, you know, I didn't really feel like I belonged there yet. So, you know, and I I probably had about eight months of that in the team where I was just quiet and, and got on with, with playing, you know, after training, went to my room, kept myself to myself. But then um, then I missed a period for injury and uh, Roy Hodgson came in and it completely changed the whole atmosphere. And I think a lot of it was was due down to the manager. Listen, Capello was, was great for me, so I'm not saying a bad word against him. He was brilliant for me, but he had a different way of running things. Uh, and then all of a sudden... An Englishman come in who, who made things a little bit more relaxed, if you like, um, and I think that the players could feel that, and we became more, more comfortable. We looked forward to to going away probably a little bit more, um, and yeah, we'd be. I mean, you know, I've still got some some guys who who are in the England squad who I still talk to who aren't. You know, Joe Hart's a good friend of mine. Who I got really close to during, during I think it was World Cup 2014. Um, so yeah, we, it never really felt like that, and like the rivalry sort of went. Like we never went mm. away on international duty, thinking, "Oh, look, there's the Tottenham boys over there." Do you know what I mean? It, was, it wasn't really like that. It was just mm. like, I think as well, we all got that. There's a lot of pressure paying for your national team, especially England with the the media and mm. um, the public there's a lot of pressure on, on doing well. And I think we all got that pretty quick and we just wanted to, to come together and, and do well. Awesome. Well, Jack, I'm, I am conscious of time, but I'm going to give a, a couple of these listeners an opportunity to maybe ask a couple of questions themselves. Um, so I'm going to bring the first one to the stage here. Um, let's have a look here. Uh, uh, oh my god hold on one second got the first question here Jack I'm trying to bring up Mark as well um, right and Anish do you want to go first mate And while I, while I sort yes. this out yes go for it um, so my first question is um, obviously when coming up um, the first ranks of English football and being like one of the golden boys of England how did you do that with that how did you deal with that pressure that immense pressure um, that's a good question. I think, I think because I was so, so focused on where I wanted to be, um, and yeah, there was a lot of spotlight on me from a young age. But I hadn't really done anything in the game, and and I I knew that <laughs> that was sort of the way, the way the English media worked. You know, they put a lot of pressure on a young lad, and, and you know what? Like rightly so, I was a a young player who got my opportunity in a big club. Um, so I knew there was going to be the spotlight on me. And I, but I was just so driven on where I wanted to be in terms of getting into the team and staying in the team. I didn't really let it affect me. I never really thought like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Jack Wilshire. I'm a young lad who, who's playing, 
you know, I never really like let let myself think like that. I was just more focused on right. This is what I need to do. I've I've had players who have been before me. You know, I used to look at Cesc Fabregas as a role model, and the way he went about things. And and yeah, I understood as well that there was different pressure on on me because I was English and he was obviously Spanish. Um, so he wasn't going to play for Eng- England national team. And yeah, I think a lot of the pressure was was because as well. You know, we spoke about before the golden generation who should have won something, never really won something. And then they were focusing on what's coming up, what's coming next. So I never really let myself in that frame of mind because I was just so focused on where I wanted to be. So Anish, cut out there. Did you have a second part to that, was it? Pitch, um, we've got you here, mate. What's your question? Hello. All good, uh, thank first, you. First of all, I want to say, yeah, yes, thank you for bringing me up on stage. Um, what's good, Jack? Um, the question I've got for Jack is um, in relation to Arsene Wenger, I just want to sort of tap into his influence on Jack, not only as a player, but as, as a man, as a man um, during his tenure at Arsenal growing up. And, and the influence that he had on, on your career and on your life in general? Um, yeah, first and foremost, like, the, the faith he put in me. And at the time, I didn't realise it. And, you know, at the time I was, when I was coming through and I weren't playing, I was just like any other player who weren't playing. I just wanted to play. I wanted to show myself. I wanted to show everyone what I could do. Um and he was always calm. Like when I'd have these conversations with him, he was always calm, like, just relax, you're going to play. But he would never as well, he would never really put, he would never say to me, oh, you're not ready to play. He would just say that you're going to play. And then obviously I went on loan and came back a different person and, and I was ready to play. But it was then really where our relationship started because, as I said before, during my first year, you know, I had challenges on the pitch where I, I didn't, didn't feel like I played well. I gave the ball away and someone scored. Um, and, you know, that was, when you're a big club like that, that's that's highlighted, you know, people remember that. And people then question you, the media, oh, is he good enough to play for Arsenal? And he was always brilliant with me and kept my confidence high, kept me in the team, which was the main thing for me. And then obviously I had challenges off the pitch as well. Um, and again, he was brilliant. He, he never really let that, that affect me like he would always take the pressure on himself and, and back me in the media whereas and at the same time listen he'd let me know that it's unacceptable but he wouldn't let that show to the outside you know I mean he'd always like, have my back um, and I know it's, it sounds cliche but almost like a father figure like a father would do you know always protect you keep you out of the spotlight and um, but at the same time trying to keep your confidence high so um, yeah, he was he was massive for me, and that's that again. That's probably why, as well, it was as difficult as it was. It was made easier to leave Arsenal because I knew that he was leaving, and and things wouldn't be the same. And yeah, I mean, I'm just devastated he didn't get another club and take me with him. <laughs> oh, I thank you for your question, there, Pitch. Um, Miles, up next, man. Oh, thanks, guys. Um, great room. Just a quick 
question. Well, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you, man. Yeah, well, he, obviously he was coached by one of the greatest coaches of all time, Arsene Wenger, but I just wanted just a quick question. What was the atmosphere like amongst you and the rest of the boys when there was a time where the Arsene, the Arsenal fan base was quite split between wanting Arsenal Wenger out, as in we want a new age and a new, looking for a new future within the club. What was the atmosphere like within the players and the boys? Was he still behind Arsene Wenger? Was it was it was it was it troubling in the in the in the change room within within the stadium? What was it like going through that? Because obviously social media now is more in height than it was back in the day. So obviously, mm. if as you all saw everything was happening, what was it like around that time? Um. Yeah, it was strange because, I mean, on a day to day at the training ground, it, it was never a problem. We didn't really let it affect us. Um, and at the time, you know, it's difficult as well because there's a lot of games. You don't really have that time to to think, sit and think about about these things. And obviously, as well, we all trusted Arsene. Of course, we did. He was he was someone who had guided the club for years and years and always got results. And yeah, the results slipped a bit. We we slipped out of the Champions League, but we had faith in him that he'd he'd be the one to get us back. But um, when we there was some some uh, home games, um, which I remember looking back, which were difficult. You know, like where we we lost games where we should have won. We it was down to us as a team, but he would he would be getting getting hammered really, and you know it became quite quite toxic place. Not all the time because I mean we won, we still won a lot of games, um, but then towards the end. It didn't really matter if if we were winning games. You know, a lot of fans had made their mind up and they wanted him out, and and they were quite vocal about that. So um, that was difficult. Not really difficult circumstances to play in because listen, we were professionals. We went out on the pitch, but it was difficult to see that happen to to someone like Arsene because he always he always took the blame as well as I said what he did for me he always put pressure on himself and questioned himself and that's what a lot of the fans wouldn't have seen like he you could see what it was doing to him and the stress that he was going through because um, I remember when when he told us that he wouldn't be there next year and the boys were like devastated and like we couldn't believe what just happened he told us before like probably about an hour before everyone else knew and it was announced and like I remember going out of the meeting and like not knowing what to do like thinking do I text my missus like what do I say to her like it felt so strange and and I don't know it was weird I mean that as I said that made my decision up um, straight away that I knew that the club was going in a different direction Arsenal wouldn't be in there um, and yeah it was strange it was difficult and it became a little bit toxic but at the same time we were professionals so we just had to get on with it So Jack just on that you know just to kind of elaborate on Miles's question there you say it became a little bit toxic in what sense between you and the, you and the club you and the you know obviously because you lot was no, not, not really us as boys not really us as a team and not really between us and the manager because um 
because we we trusted Arsenal and and listen things I think it's healthy as well and and this this happens in every club like someone would would have a question to the manager like why are we doing this and and that was the way through my whole my time at Arsenal so there was nothing that changed in that sense and he was always open to to them questions and and showing us why we're doing this or why we're not doing this why we're playing this way mm. um, and the one thing I, I think about like from what since I'm since working with Arsenal and working with different managers and what I always respected about Arsenal um, was he always had faith in in us and the way we played. I've worked with a lot of managers since, and in my opinion, sometimes too much emphasis is put on the opposition. Like the opposition are going to play this way. Mm. This is what we do to stop them. You go there, you go here. And it's almost like overcoaching, whereas he was completely against that. He was like, you know the way we play. We've worked on it. We always work on it. We train that way. That's the philosophy of the whole club. Mm play that way and we will win the game and I, I respected that and I always respect that and if I ever go on to becoming a coach or a manager that's something that I'll take with me let's talk very briefly about that then you've already started your coaching uh, your coaching badges um, yeah. brief spell doing some of the stuff at the academy or Arsenal what was that like what can we expect from a Jack Wilshire as a coach yeah that was really good um, I really enjoyed that because I was actually quite nervous, believe it or not. I was, I've done my UA for B, so I've got to do my. That was when I was doing my UA for B, and I was actually quite nervous because <laughs> you never know how the players are going to respond to you. Now these are top players for their age group in the country. You know, they're fifteen, sixteen year olds who have got ambitions to get a contract, get a pro contract, and you know, you never know how they're going to respond to you. But they were absolutely brilliant. Um, I did it with Per. Mertesacker at the time was just about to take over as head of academy, um, and the kid and the kids were brilliant, and they listened, and you could tell they were engaged, and like I felt like when they looked, when they saw me, they thought, yeah, you know what, this guy has been here, yeah. gone on to play over two hundred games in the first team, and I want to be like him, and that's what really made me engaged as well because I really felt like they were trying to lean on me for help. Uh, advice they would listen to me when I was when I was coaching because I'm sure you, you you've been through it you've done your badges you, you're always a little bit nervous do you find that like when you're coaching a new group of players yeah that'd be definitely because you always what you did, you're not quite sure about the makeup of the players how they're going yeah. to receive you and I think there's always that element of I know what I've got in here yeah going to be perceived yeah how you get it across and yeah I was nervous about that and they made it really easy and that's probably what one, why I'm sat here now thinking, yeah, I actually do want to be a coach because of the way that they they responded to me and like the influence I felt I had over them, um, and that's why people say as well, like, oh, would you want to be a manager or would you want to be a coach? And at the minute, like the way I'm thinking is, I'd want to be a coach for younger players, academy players, grassroots players because I feel like I can help them, mm. and um, like I've got a lot of experience in coming through academies are good and bad as what you have to do, what you don't do. And yeah, I'd, I'd like to pass on that knowledge. Definitely. No, thank you for that. Oh, Miles, thank you for that question as well. I'm not sure if you had a second part you wanted to kind of tag on there. No, no, it's cool, man. This is, this is cool. 
Thank you very much, Jack. Was appreciated. Oh gosh. Uh, apologies. Right, thank you for that one. Uh, we've got a question here from Mark. Yeah, hi, uh, hi, Coach, and uh, hi, Jack, and being good hi, to listen to you tonight. And uh, listen, I've watched you as a young player. Um, I've been in the scouting uh, network full time, head of recruitment and stuff for 35 years. Just recently left Manchester United, but I had my first 15 years at Melwall. Um, and then went from Millwall to Cholton, uh, and then Cholton to Liverpool, Liverpool to Brighton, and then to Man United. But just transferred over now to the sports management. But no, it's good to listen to you. And um, I brought in uh, my, uh, uh, a good a, a good person in the audience that you'll know, Jack. And um, I wondered if you could invite him up, Coach. Um, it's someone you know really well, Jack. Uh, a guy called Sean O'Connor. Oh yeah. No, Sean. Yeah, if Sean sticks his hand up, I can bring him to the stage. He's sitting there down in the audience, but he's, uh, he's, uh, you need to put your hand up, Sean. There we go. I don't know if you can, yeah, I don't I've, know if you can invite him up. I, I have done. Um, he needs to accept it first, though. Here he is. Hello. How are you, Sean? I'm fine. Thanks for inviting me in. No, thank you for being with us, Jack. You've got a few words. How are you, mate? Jack, how are you? I was speaking to my dad yesterday, as he goes. How is he? Don't answer my phone calls. He's 56 years old now, so he's feeling old, Jack. Oh, yeah, it's his birthday, wasn't it? It was. It was. Hopefully he did forget it. No, of course not. Quite interesting you speaking about um, the early days at Luton and, and progressing from Luton to Arsenal. Well, and moving on, but the early days are quite interesting um, because, from my point of view, and I think recently you you, you you mentioned in an article recently about your time leaving Luton coming to Arsenal, and I actually read the game. I don't you, you were yeah, I remember you remember the game um, when Barnett played Luton that first or second as part of Bar, um, yeah. and that's where I spotted you because that is I, I actually read the game your actual. It was Barnett's last yeah, game. They were closing down their academy. Um, and that was the day that I, 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 had, to, I had to ref the game because the ref never turned up. And um, your dad always took the uh, mickey out of me because I had a long black coat on. Um, <laughs> that was the game where I, I made my first recommendation to Arsenal. That was, you, you were actually the first player that I put to Arsenal uh, uh, that I wanted to bring in. I don't, I don't know if you remember that or you knew that. Uh, I do remember. I do remember you. You being the ref. Yeah, I do. Some awful decisions, Jesus. He <laughs> <laughs> was a better scout than you are ref, mate. Put it that way. Well, I think you got the decision that mattered. You got it right. After that game in the summer, Jack. Like, your, your dad was quite at the time, and a lot of people wouldn't know this, but at the time, your dad was quite frosty towards you moving out of Luton and coming to Arsenal, and I. The first two tournaments I'd done, he didn't want to know. But on the third one at, at Sheffield Saints, um, I got him to uh, I got him to uh, listen, and uh, he turned his head um, and decided to move you out of Luton. Um, I don't remember that either. So yeah, I was do I do remember I was just speaking about that actually, and how all of that was like my decision. Like I was the one as well who who wasn't sure about 
if I wanted to leave Luton, and it, it sounds crazy, but at the time, you know, I was I was saying when you went to Arsenal, you weren't allowed to play in any grassroots, was there? You weren't allowed to play with your mates. Um, it was pretty intense, and obviously as well, it was a long way from for my dad to go in his little red van, mate, all the way up there, three times a week. Um, so it was a big decision, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Now, you know, I had the best time coming through the academy. I met some amazing people, went to some amazing tournaments, and yeah, it was a brilliant time. Just, just quickly for the audience, I just want to, um, I'll just touch on on what you felt as yourself as a young player, and because my son at, at the time, just previously to that, Jack was at Southern, um, and I just want to give you some the audience some benchmarking with regards to talent and where your, your talent lay at a nine-year-old. Because in that game, you were playing a year up. You were actually playing a year up in the under tens against our under tens, and you actually on the day destroyed our under tens. Uh, and I kept saying to the coach, "How comes?" The winner, who's a year, because I found out in the game that you was he's younger, um, and I said, "Why is what is he doing to us? He's a year younger." So I benchmarked you against the likes of the Jake Livermores, who were in my son's group at Tottenham, and, and at the time your talent was at a very, very high level. Naturally, um, a natural player at nine years old, um, and I don't know whether or not someone like yourself, at the level you've got to, did you realise at a young age how good you were at nine, ten, eleven, and twelve? No, that's you know I've had this conversation a lot recently. Yeah. Um, I had it with uh, Benic, a phobia actually the other day. Who was yeah. you for me? And you know what? I never really did, Sean. Like I never really thought that um, I was, especially when I got to the academy. I never really thought I was better than anyone, or you know. And I was speaking about the, how we got reviewed every two years, and I was always so nervous that I weren't going to get reviewed, you know. And having conversations with people since, like. Everyone was saying, "Oh, yeah, you you was always going to get get through that. You're always going to get a scholarship." But I never, never really thought about that. It was always, "Right, what can I do to improve?" Or, um, you know what? And and looking back, nothing like and this is what I was saying to Benny. Nothing really like when I was asked to do something at that age in training or a game. I never really found anything difficult. You know, it always came natural to me, like in training or. Um, or in a game, um, obviously I'd work on things and and there's things that I wish I worked on. For example, now like I wish I was both footed, which I probably could have done coming through the youth. But no, I didn't really, I didn't really ever think that I was I was that good or I was better than anyone else. I was just I just used to love playing football and I wanted to play football all the time, whether it be school football, grassroots. Whenever I could, you know, if I was at home, I'd I'd have a ball with me in the garden, or I'd go to the park with my friends. And but I never really understood that I was I was that good, or I was better than anyone else. We could. All right, we've got um got another one, one last question from the audience. Check. Let's hear him out. Uh, Sam, you need to take your mic off mute, mate. A second, let's help him out. Yeah. It might be a glitch in the room, uh, Yaza. It's been terrible tonight, uh, clubhouse. Right, let's have a look. No, I got it. There he goes. He's worked out. Go on, yeah, Sam. I just want to know, to 
far did you think that Arsenal squad from the 2010-2011 season could have gone if that team stuck together a few more years? Because you had the likes mm. of Fabregas and Najri playing their best years for other clubs and then you got Van Percy even for United shortly after. Do you want to know how far you thought that squad could have gone? Yeah, that... I've been asked this before and I spoke about it previously on the podcast. Um, I feel like when we we didn't win that Carling Cup final, it really affected us as a team. Um, a couple of weeks later, we, we went out of the Champions League, which we felt harsh, was harsh. You know, Van Persie got sent off, never should have been sent off. Um, and then we struggled really for the end of the season because... We, I feel like we should have won the league that year, and if we'd have won the league that year, it would have stuck. We would have stuck together, you know. Nasri wouldn't have left, Sesk wouldn't have left. Um, we would have probably held on for to Van Persie for a bit longer um, because you know, once Sesk left, Nasri left. The next year was was difficult because they were big players, big personalities in the team. But I think we struggled when they left. Um, but but then saying that a, a few years later when we got uh, Meza and Alexis Sanchez and Leicester won the league, I feel like we should have won the league that year. So, but I do I do agree with what you're saying in the ten eleven season. If if we'd have won the league or won something, but I do feel like we should have won the league and it would have helped keep us together. Maybe brought in a couple of others, took us to the next level as a team. Um, but we didn't. Um, and players left and it was it was more difficult. But I still feel like we, we bounced back. And, and that a lot of that was down to Arsene as well and the belief he had in a lot of young players. Me, for example, you know, um, who else was coming through at the time? You know, your Ramseys, Kieran Gibbs, who, who put a lot of faith in and played from a young age and we nearly repaid him when the year, I think it was 14-15 season when Leicester won the league um, but we never really did and that's, that's that's one regret I have from my time at Arsenal that we didn't we didn't ever win the league because I felt a couple of times we had a good good enough team to Jack, that's the, that's the listeners' questions for time. I've got a couple of quick fire ones just to kind of round off. Um, hopefully, you know, nothing too serious, but, um, you know, let's start off with your time at Arsenal then, or just looking back on your career. Uh, who's the best player you think you've played alongside? <sighs> and why? Probably Sesk. Right. Uh, and only... I only played with him for a year, but I was lucky enough to to grow up alongside him. Well, first of all, when I was in the academy, watch him, watch him get into the team at a young age and think, almost paved the way for us as young players. Think, right, if he's done it, then why can't I do it? Mm. Um, and then get into the, the first team dressing room, not playing, but around him and see how he... He went about his business and then finally getting to play with him and seeing the way he, he controlled a game, you know, someone as well who, who wasn't particularly quick or strong, just played football with his head, you know, pick up positions where you couldn't mark him. 
yeah. see things before the ball arrived to him. You know, I watched him and played with him when he, he controlled games. And he also made it easier for me when I got into the team because I played behind him. I played a little bit of a deeper role and he played ahead of me. And as I said, he would pick up positions where you could find him and he, he made it easy. He was, he was good to play with. Mm. Right. Off the back of that one then. Um, best player that you've played against um, and it wouldn't happen to be any one of the Spaniards in your back pocket, it? Yeah. Um, well, the best player that I've ever played against is, has to be Messi. But the, the, I mean, don't get me wrong, on the night he was he was still good, but he wasn't the devastating Messi that, that everyone knew. He, I mean, he still was unbelievable, but, mm. you know, he didn't score. He, he and we, we, we dealt with him quite well, I felt, but, the best player that I've played against consistently, um, or the, yeah, I mean, he probably was the best, but the most difficult one and the one that I used to look at the the team sheet or think about the night before playing against was um, Moussa Dembele from Tottenham. Okay. I actually played against him when he was at Fulham as well. And I remember thinking, oh, who is this player? He's good. Like, he's very good. He's got everything. And then Tottenham brought him and obviously the rivalry with Tottenham and Arsenal was always a big game and tensions were running high and and uh, I had a few run-ins with him but I remember like when he used to pick up the ball and like he would like invite you to sort of come and try and win the ball and then protect mm. it and get away from you. It was very good. Awesome. So just got off the back of that, you, you said something quite controversial for me there. Ronaldo or Messi? What? Come on, Messi is... Are you Ronaldo, man, yes? All day long, man. All day long. You know what? I do see it. And I listen, they're both on another planet. And let's be honest, we're lucky to be able to watch them and and see them, what they do week in, week out, year after year. They're both amazing. But I still think Messi edges it for me. Just... Why, why is that? Because, you know, the question I've often asked people is that have gone with Messi. I, I mean, I, can, I, I get the argument. I see it. But if you had to pick one player to be in a team with you, who would it be? My argument is this. Ronaldo playing for, you know, Ronaldo's done it in both leagues or three leagues now. He's, 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 he's you know, he's demonstrated what he can do. Mm-hmm. Messi's been at Barca his whole career. Um, there's always going to be that doubt. He's not really, in my opinion, and I think it's probably well agreed by everyone that he's not really lit up the stage internationally. Mm. Um, Ronaldo's been able to do some element of that for uh, Portugal. And if you look at maybe their best years, and you probably say Ronaldo's best years were at Madrid, I reckon if you took Ronaldo out of that, out of that Madrid team, put him in any other team, he'd still have the same impact. I'm not sure if Messi would, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I do get that. And I listen, I love... Ronaldo and what he's done is unbelievable and he continues to do it as you said and he's done it in three different leagues but how I think of it is if I had if I had a hundred pound and I had to buy a ticket to watch Messi or Ronaldo I'm watching Messi right and listen I don't know why it's just maybe it's because I'm a footballer and I'm a small footballer who likes to dribble right you know what I mean and I like to see the way he plays um, and I just like I've seen him do stuff, which is, and and Ronaldo as well. Ronaldo's a different player, isn't he? Let's be honest. 
Listen, like even now I'm thinking of it, you're changing my mind. So I can't, I can't even. It's so, it's so difficult. You got to make decisions. Play both. Both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Final question then. Um, who's going to win the league this year, Jack? Premier League. Who's going to win it? See, it's done, isn't it? Yeah, it's done. Right. And do you do you think that's going to be the next few years for them as well? Because they, they, at the moment, they're so far ahead, aren't they? Yeah. Um... They, they, they will be the ones to beat, I think, for the next couple of years. But I also think that everyone has to look out for Chelsea. Right. Because I think Lampard did a great job and he brought a lot of players to the club. And I think it was a bit harsh that he went because he didn't... I think it takes time for players to, to come together. You know, you look at the City team, they've been playing together for years and they're all top quality players. I think Chelsea have got that. They just need to get the right formula and gel together. And uh, now obviously they've got a different manager is a different way of looking at things as well. Who might get better things out of them. You never know. Um, so yeah, I think Chelsea will, will, will be good. Um, Liverpool will always be, be a problem for anyone because I know they've, they've dropped off a bit this year in terms of intensity and the level they're playing at, but they, they got to a level where, no one could live with them intensity-wise. Because let's be honest, Man City, in my opinion, are the best football team, best footballing team. They play the best football. But Liverpool beat them with a certain level of intensity and getting changing the way that almost football's played. And yeah. I know they, it's difficult to reach that level and that's why they've struggled this year. But Definitely. they'll be back. I'll tell you what, you've probably, you, you're gonna, you've, you've finished my night off now. My missus is a Liverpool fan. She's going to be doing my head in now. Who, who do you support? I'm... I'm a neutral fan now. I'm not really. I don't oh, know. No. <laughs> uh, you must have a team. You must have a team. <laughs> I'm not really proud of them right now, but Man United's my team. Uh, I like Man United. I think it's very kind of you, Jack. <laughs> you know what? Being a Man United fan must be crazy because one week you're like, yeah, okay, like I feel like we're going somewhere, and then you lose yeah. the FA Cup semi final, and all of a sudden it's like the end of the world. But the thing is, you know, we, we, no matter where we're sitting in the league, it, it, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a golf, there's a golf between it at the moment. So I think it, it, it's, uh, mm. it's almost a false, false reality, if you like. Um, yeah. I think you know the, the league has been so so blown so far apart right now by City. But I, I guess you know one final question actually on that: Do you think City should really be focused on the league or where they're at now and how the success they've had over the years? They should be make, making more efforts to, I guess, target the Champions League. Yeah, I think I think that's difficult because because of the level of the Premier League and the level you have to be at every game. Yeah. First of all, physically, and then that that comes with his mental challenges. Um, because you can't just in the Premier League, I don't care who you're playing against, you can't just turn up and think that you're going to win. You have to you have to do the things right and. So it, listen. Mean, if anyone's got the squad, Ronaldo, to, Messi, to, hmm? does that mean Ronaldo's better than Messi? Then <laughs> no. But I, I think if anyone's got the squad to sort of rotate and be in the best possible condition physically for the Champions League, um, then it, it's Man City. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I fancy PSG in the Champions League. They've, they've certainly got some exciting players over there too and I think it'll be interesting to see what happens because I mean the argument is with PSG they maybe don't have to focus as much attention on the league anymore yeah true. So they've got a bit more time to dedicate to 
the Premier or to the Champions League in that respect. But look, Jack, I'm, I'm really conscious of time. Look, it's been a pleasure this evening. It's a fascinating conversation. Some great insights from you and your journey. Um, and obviously, you know, thanks for taking the time out to answer some of our listeners' questions. Um, but guys in the audience, you know, you, you have been listening to a live episode of the Coaches Network podcast um, where I've been joined by Jack Wilshire, currently at AFC Bournemouth, former Arsenal, West Ham and England midfielder. And obviously a brief spell at Bolton as well. Let's not forget them. Um, but, you know, this this will be released on all our, all our platforms on YouTube, Spotify, all the other major platforms that we that we do use. Um, keep an eye out for it. Thank you again for your time this evening, guys. I'll be ending the room now on Clubhouse. Take care, guys. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.